Research is showing that one, just one round of antibiotics can wipe out the microbiota for up to six months. Okay. I want to keep moving because we have a lot of questions. Um, do babies really need vitamin D drops? What does a child who has the MTHFR variant take in terms of supplements? What do they need in childhood and in teenage years, if anything? What is your opinion on circumcision? A exclusively breastfed baby who's had nothing but breast milk, but was born by C-section should have a probiotic. People ask me all the time, well, what would you do? Yeah, well, what I would do might be a little bit different than what you would do as a new parent because I've been a seasoned physician. So um, at any point that... And you don't have that parent's instinct. And that's the thing. Like their instinct is an actual tool we all need to rely on. So when they ask what you would do, that's one thing, but their instinct is potentially more valuable than anything. Absolutely. Cynthia Overgaard, owner of Hypnobirthing of Connecticut, childbirth advocate, and postpartum support specialist. And I'm Trisha Ludwig, certified nurse midwife and international board-certified lactation consultant. And this is the Down to Birth podcast. Childbirth is something we're made to do, but how do we have our safest and most satisfying experience in today's medical culture? Let's dispel the myths and get down to birth. So I'm Dr. Ashley Mayer. I'm the founder of Dr. Green Mom and now Dr. Green Life. I am a family physician here in Scottsdale, Arizona. I've been practicing for about 15 years and um, I, I, I had a I had I had a family practice where I saw a bunch of mostly adults. I mean, most who migrated to me were adults and then they would bring their kids on board, you know, after I saw them for a couple of visits. And when I launched Dr. Green Mom, which was a passion project of mine after my daughter was born, um, as a physician, I thought I knew so much about child rearing. And then I had my daughter and I was clueless. And so I was thinking, look, if I'm a doctor and I can't figure out how to care for my kid when it comes to anything medically related, um, I want to push this information out to the world once I get a on and once I learn. Um, and so I did. So Dr. Green Mom started and over the years, it has snowballed into what it is today. But I found myself over the last two years, really seeing kids, lots of kids, lots of pregnancy, lots of infants. And um, and so this has just been such a beautiful experience for me. But I'm here because of you two lovely ladies who align completely with my mission and vision which is to teach parents to raise your children more in line with the way nature intended. And it starts before birth. And so I love what the two of you are doing and I'm so excited to be here. Um, just to, you know, have a conversation about what that means to me and what it means to you too. Thank you so much, Ashley. Yeah, And I have to say our community was so excited when we announced that you were going to be on the podcast and they submitted tons of questions. We could probably have five podcast episodes um, with the questions that came in, but we selected a handful of them that uh, we thought were, you know, the more common questions that many new moms have. And we are very eager to hear what you have to say. I think we should start off with probably one of the most common. Well, we have some very um, more controversial ones too, that we'll, we'll get to, but the one of the most common ones that comes up is what to do about, um, toddler fevers or infant fevers, especially like in a young baby, um, what is 
Do you have a specific protocol that you recommend for fevers in young babies? So the most important thing that I'll tell parents is fevers are necessary for kids' immune systems. I mean, so keep that in mind. Your children are going to have fevers. And if you think about a fever as an ability for your immune system to hop on a jungle gym and flourish, like it's, it helps to calm down the parent. So if you could just close your eyes and imagine a bunch of bugs or viruses jumping around on a jungle gym, (laughs) it like helps to be a little bit more calming for a parent to realize our immune systems have to play. So I I tell parents, you always assess the severity um, of a fever or the severity severity of any illness. So if your child is irritable, um, that's actually a good sign. It means that they're not um, they're they're not in a, at a point where they're so sick, listless. Yeah, if they're just super sluggish, um, that is going into another phase of being on on watch for a fever. But I always tell parents to look for irritability. It's not a bad thing. Um, look for signs of dehydration. So make sure that they're change. Make sure you're changing diapers often. You're checking that they're having several wet diapers in a day. Um, you want to pay attention to, um, to, to the temperature only if you start to get nervous. So some kids with 104 fever, I promise you are playing with their toys and they're watching television and they're walking around the house while other kiddos with 104 are laid out on the couch and it's hard to get a response from them. So you really do want to pay attention to, to the, to the response and how the child is acting. So I like to tell parents don't necessarily look for the number, just look at how they're feeling. So the first step for me is a tepid bath um, for little ones. Always have a aspirator, a nasal aspirator on hand, um, just in case the child is stuffy nose. Um, The more that you can clear out the congestion, the better that they're going to feel at first sign of illness. For little, little babies, you want to pay attention for uh, a super back arch, a neck arch. Those are signs that you need to get medical attention right away. Um, those are the 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 signs that I think are most important is that baby's not getting fed or they're not taking a feeding. This is for the little ones under age six months. They're not wetting their diapers. And if you can't get much of a response out of them, those are when you seek medical attention right away. Um, so it isn't about a specific number on the thermometer. Absolutely not. Some people think, you know, once it gets over 103, they have to start Tylenol or ibuprofen. Sure. There's not an exact number, but I'll tell you this as an adult, if we get to a point where we're just like, oh, I feel awful. We're going to reach for the ibuprofen. We're going to reach for the Tylenol. So I like to tell parents, you know what? Don't be completely against the Advil or the Tylenol, because you would yourself probably take it when you get to a certain point of irritability. So if your child is really showing signs of discomfort, discomfort in an incredible way, don't feel like you can't dose the ibuprofen or Tylenol or, oh, I'm not like the integrative, healthful mother. Um, because I am a very conventionally trained physician, but I also believe in holistic health. And so I believe in both. I believe that there's a reason for both of them. And sometimes it's necessary at like nighttime. So they actually get a good night's sleep. So they're not waking up in pain constantly, but, but you know, if they're, if they're managing it, okay. And it's not bedtime, then letting the fever ride really helps 
Absolutely. can help burn up the infection, right? Again, it's with irritability. So if at night before bed, they're so incredibly uncomfortable and you can tell um, in my, I'm just going to tell you not as a physician, but as a mom, I will dose my children with ibuprofen before bed. And it's because rest is nature's best. So you're going to end up being able to get rid of whatever this illness is much faster. If your kiddo is able to rest, rest and hydrate. It's like, there's no guilt in this. There's no guilt in child rearing and there's no guilt in um, helping your child to feel better and more comfortable. And so in any situation, whatever that is, whether it's a, um, whatever it is, but specifically this for dosing medicines, there's no guilt in this. It's because you're helping to make your child feel better and you're using your best intuition. And I think I also want to make a point that whatever that mother or father instinct is in you or partner instinct is in you, seek medical attention if you don't feel comfortable. So even if your child is running 101 and they're, you know, peeing in their diapers and they're, you know, hydrating and um, they're, they're not at a very listless sluggish stage and you don't feel comfortable, seek medical attention, make an appointment with your doctor. So I, I like to say that as well. Don't feel like you have to hold off. Um, because there's a there's a different comfort state for all parents. People ask me all the time, well, what would you do? Yeah, well, what I would do might be a little bit different than what you would do as a new parent because I've been a seasoned physician. So um, at and any you don't point, have that parent's instinct. And that's the thing, right? Like instinct is an actual tool we all need to rely on. So when they ask what you would do, that's one thing, but their instinct sure. is potentially more valuable than anything. Absolutely. And these guidelines change over the years all the time too. That's what's crazy about it. They're always changing over the decades. And I think that's what is complicating to parents is that at first sign of something, they want to hop on the computer and start to look it up and they start referencing, you know, some reputable websites and there's conflicting information. And so it's conflicting with their instinctual ways of potentially um, rearing their children. And I think that's been a huge disconnect in society is parents don't know what their intuition is anymore, or they don't know how to rely on it so much because there's so many other opinions that are out there from medical experts who all differ. And I think I'm now throwing another um, differing point of view on the pot. And so parents are now even more confused because now this physician, Dr. Mayer is saying something that completely conflicts with what my pediatrician told me. Well, the tagline of our whole podcast is exactly what you're speaking to. And it's here, everyone listen to yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the problems is that there's, we're inundated with so much information because you can Google everything because you can be your own online doctor and then you see what comes up is always the worst case scenario. So the fear yeah. aspect really interferes with a parent's intuition. So if you just don't go there and don't go seeking that information and really try to just follow what you know what you're feeling, because as soon as you start getting those those anxious thoughts and thinking, oh, what what if it's this? What if it's this? What if I miss this? Now your intuition is really hard to hear. Absolutely. And there are, you know, especially on social media, there's other, you know, self-proclaimed experts and they are physicians and they're talking about things and I am in complete in their health, their integrative, and I completely have a different opinion than them. And sometimes I like have to step back and be like, did they really put that on social? Like, what are they doing? So even us experts in the field of integrative medicine, we have differing opinions. And so I completely understand why parents are so confused. And I tell people regularly, I tell patients, I tell people on my social platforms, I am one opinion of many. 
And if you don't align with me or uh, research what I have to say, look into it. Don't take my truths and my opinions for the end all be all. Make sure that you go look this up and educate yourself, not just on my opinion, but on others, um, other great medical references, um, because sometimes we won't, we won't align or maybe some of what I have to say uh, maybe isn't maybe the best choice of action for you and your family. And, and you're not treating that specific individual and that specific indi individual's specific circumstances matter. I mean, that's the whole thing of holistic medicine is that you look at the whole being of that it's person. It's a personalized so approach to medicine. It really is. All right. Here's another good question. Um, do you recommend probiotics for babies? And if you do, under what circumstances? And especially if they're exclusively breastfed, if so, are they necessary? And do you have a recommendation on one? <laughs> That's a lot of questions. A lot of questions uh, in one. Do So I'll, I'll just start out with this. Um, I believe less is best. So, and I own a supplement company and I believe less is best. So uh, when it comes to babies who, do they need probiotics? No, it depends on the situation. We just spoke about personalized medicine. And so I'll say there are specific circumstances with the newborn um, or baby in general, but let's just speak to newborns, newborns that I would recommend a probiotic. So if mom had a cesarean section, absolutely recommend a probiotic. Um, it, the research is definitely showing that babes who are born uh, to cesarean mamas have um, a microbiota imbalance and have a harder time getting to that TH1 immune system switch. So I believe that probiotics in an infant is very be beneficial in that case. I believe that probiotics are very beneficial in an infant's case if they're going to get vaccinated. There are several strains of probiotics that have been studied to show great efficacy with titers, with specific vaccinations. I think that's important, but I also believe in helping to protect the microbiome through vaccination. The current vaccines we have on the schedule for little ones are a TH2 dominant vaccination, which means the whole point of the vaccination is to get you into a TH2 immune um, what does so, that mean? So TH2 is driving some of our chronic diseases in children and infants and it's eczema, allergies, atypia, asthma. So the longer that you are in this TH2 dominant state, the more this is going to arise. Now, TH2 is so important for the immune system because it helps our bodies to see a vaccine. It helps our bodies to see that antigen and mountain immune response but it's not good when our bodies stay in that state. And so we want to get it back to that TH1, TH2 balance. And so probiotics are definitely beneficial for that reason. Um, parents ask me all the time, why, why, why probiotics for vaccines? So I've, I've probably spoken about this so many well, times. I think people don't realize how much the gut plays a role in the immune system. It's the driver. Absolutely. The neurological system and the immune system, the gut is a driver for both of those for sure. And so the neurological system is also a part with vaccination as well. And so we wanna make sure that we're helping to support our bodies in all way possible. Um, so I think uh, probiotics are beneficial then too. Um, with, with breastfed babies, do I think probiotics are beneficial? It depends, is there a symptom? So does babe have colic, gas, reflux, irritability with the feeding? Are they averse to maybe some foods that mama is eating or have some sensitivities to those foods? I think a probiotic is very beneficial. Do I think all babies across the board should do a probiotic? No. And do you think in a exclusively breastfed baby who's had nothing but breast milk, but mm -hmm. was born by C-section should have a probiotic? Yes. 
when a babe comes out of the vaginal canal, they are bathed in mama's vaginal and fecal flora. I know that sounds crazy, um, but it's fantastic for the babe to be bathed in that. And it really sets them up for, um, and when they're delivered as well, just inhaling all of that when they're coming out. So I believe the importance of the probiotic uh, with cesarean, even with breastfed babies. So, so I do believe that probiotics are beneficial for cesarean for the first four to six months of life. Um, do I have any longitudinal studies on this? No, it's just been what I'm doing in my practice. And I find that babies have less symptoms um, in the first six or eight months of life after cesarean uh, when they have probiotics on board. And do I recommend one? I have a really great one. It's actually mine. Um, so it's a multi-strain probiotic. You don't have to get mine. It's Dr. Green Mom. Um, but make sure if you're looking for a probiotic that it is a multi-strain and it is robust. So um and, and what are the most important strains for a baby who's been born by C-section? Uh rhamnosis and um any of the lactobacillus and bifido species are going to be very important. Um, and it should be a diversity of them, not specifically just one. So, so here's the interesting thing about research is that there's a company who wants to bring a probiotic to market. And so they're going to take a strain and they're going to study it. And then they're going to make that their probiotic and say, well, here's the research on this brevet, on this brevet species, and this is what it does. And so here's all the benefits. And so you have to take this one strain. The problem with that is because the problem with that is that there's multiple strains that are beneficial. And I believe in um, a symbiotic relationship with microorganisms when it comes to probiotics. And so that one strain may be helpful, but I believe that multi-strains will be more beneficial. And what about breast milk as a prebiotic? It's fantastic. <laughs> but but still not yeah. quite sufficient. I believe I believe that babies who have no symptoms, who are born vaginally, do not need a probiotic. And do I they don't need a probiotic either if they're born cesarean. I just recommend them. Okay. It, and it probably helps them. I mean, it takes some time for the gut to for the, even with breast milk for the prebiotic to completely form the gut if they're missing all that early exposure coming through the vaginal canal and starting on a probiotic gives them just that extra boost. Absolutely. So, and, and again, parents will say, well, how long do I have to keep them on this? Oh, just a couple months. So it's not that this is something they have to stay on forever. It's just to help repopulate that microbiome that may be in this TH2 potential dominant state. Or that they never got in the first place by being born by cesarean. It's not that they lost it. It's that they never received it. Correct. Um, Trisha and Ashley, I know what an antibiotic is. I know what a probiotic is. I don't know what a prebiotic is. So a prebiotic actually feeds a probiotic bacteria. So it's actually the food for the probiotic. Okay. That's yep. Yep. So the more prebiotics you have, the more probiotics you're going to have because it's like the food. It's like a, yeah, it's like the food for it. Um, and then I guess there is one other case. So if, a, like you said, antibiotics, if an infant is on a round of antibiotics, it is so incredibly important to help repopulate that microbiome. Research is showing that one, just one round of antibiotics um, can wipe out the microbiota for up to six months. So stay on that probiotic after a round of antibiotics for, I always recommend four to six months. Is it ever too late to do it if you never did it in the past? It's you never can, too late. You can go at it, right? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. yep. Okay. And oh, wait, quick question on when um, when you are taking an antibiotic, should you start on the probiotic 
at the same time? Should you take them separately, spaced in between? Because obviously the antibiotic could harm the probiotic. probiotic. So there's mixed research on that. So there's some research that shows if you take the probiotic post four hours after the round of antibiotic, that some of the probiotic is utilized by the body and you do have some colonization. The problem with most most infant antibiotics is you dose it every eight hours. So it's, you know, you're really on this regimen every four hours for 24 hours trying to make sure you're getting this probiotic in your kid. And so I always recommend that you can maybe dose the probiotic once daily during a round of antibiotics. But if you want to wait until after the round of antibiotics is done, and it's usually a 10-day course of antibiotics, then you can start on the probiotic after that and just be religious with it. All right, breastfeeding moms, do you want to know one of our all-time favorite items for your nursing journey? If you know us, you probably could guess it. Yep, it's the Silverette Nursing Cup. These little nipple heroes not only protect, but also heal because they're made of real silver. It is naturally antimicrobial, antifungal, and anti-inflammatory. These little cups will be your best friend in the early sensitive weeks of breastfeeding your baby. And our favorite part is they last literally forever. You can pass them on just like you would a favorite piece of jewelry. Head on over to silverettusa.com and use promo code DOWNTOBIRTH to save 15%. Down to Birth is sponsored by Postpartum Soothe. Recovering from a vaginal birth takes many women by surprise. Everyday activities like sitting, walking, and going to the bathroom can be uncomfortable. And Postpartum Soothe is just the remedy to support your healing and relieve discomfort. Postpartum Soothe is a 100% organic herbal blend that's applied to maternity pads in the days immediately following your birth giving you all the benefits of a sitz bath 24-7. That's because herbs like comfrey leaf, uva ursi, and witch hazel are known for their antimicrobial and anti-inflammatory properties. Postpartum Soothe can be prepared anytime during the third trimester, and it makes a beautiful baby gift. It's a must for any woman seeking a faster, easier recovery from a vaginal birth. Visit postpartumsoothe.com. That's postpartumsoothe, S-O-O-T-H-E dot com and use promo code down to birth. Choosing the right baby products is no easy task, especially when you want to avoid toxic chemicals like BPA and flame retardants while not compromising quality or style. Had Modern Nursery been around in our baby days? No doubt this would be our go-to site for everything we needed. Modern Nursery is mom-owned, which we love, and specializes in non-toxic, high-quality gear and good-looking style for anyone. Their website is super user-friendly, and you can shop easily by searching by age, organic, green guard gold, PFAS free, and more. And our personal favorite is their gift link. It's perfect. If you're in the market for anything baby from play gear to car seats to cribs, check out modernnursery.com slash down to birth. There you'll save 10% plus you'll get a free gift and bonus, you'll even find Cynthia and Trisha's favorite picks. That's modernnursery.com slash down to birth. Is it normal for my breastfed baby to poop only once a week? And why would that be? No. (laughs) So pediatricians recommend that, or they say that it is okay, generally speaking. Um, And in my, it's common sense to me that whatever comes in has to come out, right? So it doesn't matter if it's a breastfed baby or a formula fed baby. I know that breast milk 
the babe is utilizing so much more of what the mother is giving and it's being recirculated back into the system, but there still should be bowel movements. There, there is, um, waste. There's metabolic waste that is produced with every feeding and that does need to be excreted. And so, um, uh, doing the, I love you tummy and getting the knees up. And, um, those are two really helpful ways for parents who have newborns to try to get their kids to go. And digestion can be sluggish in the beginning. I mean, they're brand new. And so, you know, their body is just trying to work itself out and sometimes they need a little help, but no, it's not, it's not typical. It might be typical now, but it's not normal for a breastfed baby to go up to a week. What do you think about chiropractic adjustments for newborns? chiropractic adjustments for newborns. Especially if they're not pooping. I've seen babies who aren't pooping frequently enough with one, two adjustments and they're pooping regularly again, like no problem. Yeah, just absolutely just like that. Okay. I want to keep moving because we have a lot of questions. Sure. Um, do babies really need vitamin D drops? Do you want me to answer this professionally or personally? <laughs> Both, I guess. <laughs> so again, it's personalized medicine is what we wholeheartedly believe in. And I live in Arizona. Uh, neither of my children at birth ever received vitamin D drops. But I'll also say this, I had mountain sun for 10 to 20 minutes every day, getting direct sunlight, um, making sure that, you know, people seem to think that if my kid's out in the sun, they're getting vitamin D. Well, if they're fully covered, uh, they're not going to be getting any vitamin D. So the skin needs to be showing to be able to get some of that vitamin D. And I, um, I, I didn't do drops with either of my children for that reason. But if you live in a cold climate or if your baby is born in the winter and you live in Massachusetts, it might be something that you will think about. Um, or mama can do vitamin D drops. Vitamin D does pass through the breast milk. Just mama would have to do a little bit of a higher dose. Awesome. Um, Okay, we're going to get a little controversial now. What All is right. your opinion on circumcision? Uh, personal or <laughs> professional? Yeah. Start so, with personal. So so I did not circumcise my son. And my husband was completely on board with circumcision. And this was one of our points of contention. So I really had to sit down and say, here's the research. Here's what I know. I want you to think about it. Um, uh, I want to use, I want you to use your analytical mind when you're thinking about this. Do I said, if I, if I show you the information that shows you that um, UTIs are not the reason anymore to get a circumcision, what would be the next reason why you would still want to get our son circumcised? And a lot of parents will say, a lot of men will say, well, cause I want him to look like me. My husband didn't say that. And that was awesome. And he said, well, if it doesn't prevent UTIs, then what's the point of circumcising? And I said, Clear, clearly there's no point. Uh, professionally, I'll tell you that in my practice, I see a very large percentage of boys who actually had complications with their circumcision. So that is one more level and one more tier I like to talk to parents about is that every um, every procedure, any procedure that's done, there's always a potential risk. And so you have to look at that as well. So although you may say, I want my child to look like me, or I clearly believe that it that circumcision prevents UTIs, I want you to think about the next level and the next tier. And the next tier is if you do perform the circumcision 
and it is complete, there are risks. So you have to think about that as well. And so adhesions are generally the number one concern or diagnosis that I'll find in boys who have come into my office. And so I spoke to my husband about that as well. And we both decided wholeheartedly, we're not going to circumcise. And my husband, we've mentioned, we've talked about it um, since, and he's just like, I'm so thankful. Our son's never had a UTI. He's four and a half years old. And um, I, I just, I'm sorry, but I believe personally, and I, you know, I'm entitled to my own opinions, but personally, I believe it's mutilation. What's the, the the whole point of circumcision to begin with um, was for religious reasons, I think. It was religious for Muslims and the Jewish faith. And then Americans became the only culture that picked it up for non-religious. So So I'm I'm not not sure. I'm not sure how we can see it as anything other than mutilation when the child has no say in it. And that's what I tell parents too. Hey, look, if you guys are on the fence, there's no reason you can't wait until a child can make that decision. And that's actually what I told my husband. I said, you know, if you are completely still on board with this, let's let him choose when he gets to to whatever age he decides, hey, I want, I want to do this. And so he he did, he researched it and he did research some of the other nations who are doing the same thing for girls. And he's he just got to thinking. And then I explained medically what the foreskin is and there are nerve endings in there and there are copious amounts of nerve endings there. Um, and so he, he completely changed his mind. And I believe that that is the heart of the conversation. If two parents aren't agreeing, delaying is always best. Only one decision is irreversible. Exactly. So if you do something now, if one of you wins the argument and you get circumcised, um, there could be potential issues later. So, um, so delay it until you guys can come to a decision. It's not like, the first couple of weeks of life, baby has to get circumcised right away. So, so keep that in mind that you, you are able to come to a resolution just may not be exactly when you want it to be. The craziest argument you sometimes hear is that if he does it later, then it'll hurt. It's like, oh, you think? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, you don't realize it, but it's hurting right now. I think the most positive way to defend leaving boys intact. There are many ways to defend it, but I feel like the most positive is the right to informed consent. How can we teach our children the right to their own bodies and the right to informed consent without the strongest one by saying, despite, I mean, I've had a lot of even Jewish clients who became the first in their families to leave their sons intact. It's not easy for many people when they make that choice, but it is a beautiful message of, well, we this is your body. And that is what we want to teach our children from the time they're toddlers anyway. So it's very consistent with the values yep. we tend to want to teach our children. Absolutely. Yeah. And med- but professionally speaking, I am all about informed consent. I will give you both the risks, benefits and every, every way to Sunday. And it is ultimately up the parents to decide. And there is no disparaging disagreement with me. If you decide to circumcise your child, I am going to be there for you and I support you completely. So professionally speaking, I am very neutral. I, I allow you as a parent autonomy to decide what is best for your child. And if that means that you choose to circumcise and you don't want to wait for your child to make that decision, then I am going to support you as well. When I teach about this in my classes, I'm I've 
I'm very against circumcision personally. It's become maybe like the happiest decision of my life that I <laughs> have left my son intact. Um, I don't know why, but it has just become deeply meaningful to me. And sure. I'm very happy about it. But when I teach my couples, because I teach so many people and they don't know how have my values, and I do respect these are very personal decisions. I say, listen, if you do make this choice, hire carefully. Don't just hire your midwife or your obstetrician carefully and then pass off your baby to the nearest surgeon. Maybe someone who's never done one before. Hire carefully. There's a long list of questions they can speak to that surgeon about um, because some are done carelessly. There's over 2,000 adverse reactions a year. God forbid you cause harm to your son. I had one couple share with me together. The husband shared like his whole life, sex is painful. That was what circumcision did for him. It's been painful his whole life. So we don't just want to say, okay, well, we're going to do it. And then that's it. Now you have a lot of work to do just as you do for your birth and you have to hire carefully. Yeah. I mean, keep in mind, this isn't just with circumcision. This is with right. any surgery or with, with any procedure that's done. You want to seek out the best. You want to seek out someone who you align with. You want to seek out a physician or a surgeon who is going to perform at their best. One more question on that. If um, you do have an intact mm -hmm. son, is there anything that you recommend parents do to teach them how to care for it? Is it necessary? Yeah, nothing. Right. You don't need to do nothing. anything. There's, there's no, they're going to retract it on their own at a couple of years old. And um, there's nothing that you have to do. I mean, that's the whole point of the, that part of the penis is protection. I mean, there's other reasons, but uh, you don't have to do anything. There's no cleaning necessary. And that's what I think confuses parents. And that's confused my husband too, was, well, now what do we do? How do we clean it? It's, it cleans it. Right. It's clean. It's just like we don't have we to go wash and it. Just... clean the inside of our vaginas. Mm -hmm. Like it's just meant to be that way. Exactly. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you. Um, moving on. Uh -huh. Um what does a child who has the MTHFR variant take in terms of supplements? What do they need in childhood and in teenage years, if anything? If they're eating healthy food and they're nourishing their bodies with whole foods and not a lot of processed foods, I don't generally recommend anything uh, unless they're going through vaccination or if they're taking a medication for anxiety or depression. So a lot of the medications, uh, I think it's important that a kiddo is also using methylated nutrients if they have MTHFR, but the most important ones are methylfolate and methyl B12. So the whole, the whole idea behind this is that we don't, they don't have the enzyme that's able to break folic acid down into folate for the, the homocysteine to methionine pathway. And so homocysteine, which is inflammatory builds up in the body over time. And I'll see this regularly on adult labs. So I'll see a new patient in the office and they have markedly high homocysteine levels. And the first thing I'll do is run an MTHFR and a COMT genetic test on them just to find out, you know, are you methylating appropriately? And if they're not, I'll stick them on methyl B12 and methylfolate. But um, it doesn't hurt to have your kiddos um, on a multivitamin or mineral supplement with methylfolate and methyl B12. Um, I have a sublingual for kiddos that melt in your mouth, methyl B12 and methylfolate. Um, I think those are important those are the two most important. There's other nutrients, your B vitamins, and there's other nutrients as well, but those are the two most and, and important. And what would be the main consequences of not methylating well or having high homocysteine as a result of this variant? Inflammation. So systemic inflammation. So body inflammation. 
And that, you know, ends up later on, you're looking at things like issues with the circulatory system and cardiovascular disease, diabetes, et cetera. Now, just not having folate and B12 on board are not going to be the reasons why you would end up having any of those diagnoses, but they definitely contribute. So just because you don't take them doesn't mean you're going to end up with cardiovascular disease. And because you do take them doesn't mean that you won't end up with it. Okay. Last one real quick. Do infants really need iron supplementation? I guess we're mostly talking about breastfed infants here since formula is fortified. Yeah. um, Both of my children were breastfed and neither of them were ever on an iron supplement. If there's a symptom involved, yeah, absolutely recommend it. So if they're, if they are anemic, if they're showing signs of bruising, if they're having issues with feeding, if you do the, there's like a finger prick that you can do, or if blood was drawn and find out that your child has um, issues with their ferritin or iron, then yes, I recommend a supplement. But for most intent and purpose, if your child's thriving and doing fine, no. I don't recommend. Again, I believe less is best, although I have a liquid iron. <laughs> well, in case of those scenarios where somebody's presenting with symptoms. Truly. People ask me all the time about what supplements I take. And then I'm like, all right, well, less is best. I'm going to tell you there's very few that I actually take on a regular basis. Okay. I want to thank you guys so much for allowing me to be here. Uh, I appreciate that you guys have so much of the same mission and vision that I have with regards to raising children the way nature intended and, and allowing ultimately the parent to decide what is best. And I just, I love that that's what you have to offer. And so I appreciate you both so much for everything that you have and your social platforms are gorgeous. Like I was consuming your information last night and I just thank you so much for all the information that you're giving to parents because without people like you, they wouldn't know where to go. They feel the same way about you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us at the Down to Birth Show. You can reach us at Down to Birth Show on Instagram or email us at contact at downtobirthshow.com. All of Cynthia's classes and Trisha's breastfeeding services are held live, online, serving women and couples everywhere. Please remember this information is made available to you for educational and informational purposes only. It is in no way a substitute for medical advice. For our full disclaimer, visit downtobirthshow.com slash disclaimer. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, hear everyone and listen to yourself. I am truly about informed consent. Many physicians who are in my integrative space, who are on very large platforms, and they have said they believe in true informed consent, but when it comes down to it, they're very anti. And it's like, that's not okay. If you believe in informed consent, you believe in the parent's right to make that decision and support them either way.